Well, this morning we are in the first Sunday in Lent. As you could tell, our usual upbeat opening hymns were not quite so upbeat. I want to talk a little bit, um, although I, I do want to stick to the, uh, the lesson out of the epistle which comes to us from Romans 10. I want to deviate just a little bit um, into 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5. Uh, I think the two tie together well, and so if you have your Bibles and you want to uh, refer to them, I'm in 2 Corinthians 5, and I'm beginning at verse 20. And so Paul is talking to the church in Corinth here, and he's talking to them about reconciliation with God. And so he says, so we are ambassadors for Christ. Since God is making his appeal through us, we entreat you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Now in those two verses, there really is possibility for a whole sermon series. But for our purpose this morning, as we're coming out of the ashes of Ash Wednesday, if you were here for that service, and we're going into the Lenten season, this being the first Sunday in Lent, and so it's an opportunity to reflect on the meaning of Paul's words in our own experience, in our own lives. And we've been working together, both in the the Sunday morning worship service and in the Wednesday night Bible study time, to build those ambassadors for Christ that Paul talks about in this passage of Scripture. And during the Lenten season, which we're about to kick off here, we, we pause long enough to reflect on Jesus' sacrifice, what it means to us and what it means to our relationship to Jesus. And we take stock of our spiritual health and where we stand with God. It's important that we take time out to do this. And once again, in order to do that, we go back to the basics of our faith. We examine just what exactly it is that Jesus has done for us. And so Paul says here in verse 21, For our sake, he, God, made him, Jesus, to be sin. Jesus who knew no sin. So that in him, Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. See, Paul's clear here that Jesus did what he did for us for our sake. And because he had to do that, it must have meant that somewhere we had a problem. For Jesus to go to the cross and die for us, he didn't do that on a whim. He didn't do that because, oh, it's Thursday. I think I'll go die on the cross. He did it because we humanity needed that to occur. Because we had a big problem, a big insurmountable problem called sin. See, sin was an obstacle. It was a wall. 
It was a, a, a huge chasm separating us from God who is completely holy and completely just. There's no way for us to get over the sin wall. There's no way to cross the sin obstacle, the sin chasm on our own. It's too wide, it's too high, it's too deep, all those reasons. It's a huge gap between sinful humanity and perfect God. And so Paul tells us that God made Jesus to be sin. What does that mean exactly? Well, I can tell you, for starters, what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that Jesus was simply a sin offering, like an animal sacrifice offered for the temporary relief of the guilt of an offense. It wasn't like in the the Jewish temple of the day where they would buy an animal and they would take it into the temple and sacrifice it to absolve them of whatever sins they had going on in their life at that time. That was never a permanent sacrifice. You had to go back to temple again, get another animal and sacrifice it for last week's sins. And so that's not what we're talking about here. Paul's words here tell us that Jesus became sin. That it took... All of the sin of the world, past, present, and future, and piled it into Jesus, completely canceling the sin debt for humanity for all time. You see the difference? It's not a, it's not a temporary relief from sin. It's a permanent, permanent pardon for sin for all time. Why did he do that? Well, he says very clearly, so that we might become the righteousness of God. Not just made righteous, not just put right with God, but that we would be totally transformed into righteousness. Totally transformed into the perfectly holy and justified righteousness of God. That's what transformation means because in our humanity, in our human condition, we're far from righteous. We're completely sinful. But because of what Christ did for us on the cross, exchanging our sin for his righteousness, we are now totally righteous. In fact, we are the righteousness of God. So Jesus, who was God, who is God, who was sinless, who was righteousness, exchanged that for our sinfulness and gave to us in that exchange his righteousness. Do, Do we fully understand the magnitude of that exchange? It's, it's almost impossible to compare it to, but it's, it's, like I came to our yard sale and somebody had a magnificent, priceless jewel sitting on one of the tables. And on our way into the yard sale, we stopped in the ditch and picked up some garbage and walked in and exchanged it for the priceless gem, and God called it even. Where does that happen? Except for in the kingdom of God, with a God who loves you so much that he's willing to give his only son for you. 
What does that mean for us? Well, since the cost for sin is always death, since the price for sin is always separation for God, from God for all eternity, the fact that Jesus took all of that upon himself and gave us his righteousness means that through him we now have life, not just this life, but an eternal one with him and the Father and the Holy Spirit. And so, do you see that now because of Jesus? You now have eternal life with Him in your future. And we call that very simply hope. That's hope. It's certainty. It's a guarantee. And how do I get in on this amazing hope? That's where our Scripture from Romans 10, 8 through 13 uh, talks to us. It says, but what does it say? It says the word is near you on your lips and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your lips that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Oh, wow. That's that's actually not that much to remember. If I say it with my mouth, confess it publicly, Jesus Christ is Lord. And I believe it in my heart. I will be saved. Oh, that's so simple. In fact, let's say it together. Jesus Christ is Lord. And I believe it. Oh, yeah. That's amazing. If you confess with your lips that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For one believes with the heart and is so justified. And one confesses with the mouth and so is saved. The scripture says no one who believes in him will be put to shame for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. The same Lord is Lord of all and is generous to all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So what do I do with that? So now that we have an understanding about what Jesus did for us, what do we do with it? Paul says in 2 Corinthians 6, As we work together with him, we urge you also not to accept the grace of God in vain, For he says, at an acceptable time, I have listened to you. And on a day of salvation, I have helped you. See, now is the acceptable time. See, now is the day of salvation. We're putting no obstacle in anyone's way so that no fault may be found with our ministry. But as servants of God, Paul says, we have commended ourselves in every way. Through great endurance and afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger. How did we do it? We did it by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, holiness of spirit, genuine love, truthful speech, and the power of God. With the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left. In honor and dishonor, in ill repute and good repute. We are treated as impostors and yet are true, 
as known and yet are well known, as unknown and yet are well known, as dying and see we are alive, as punished and not yet killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing and yet possessing everything. See, beginning the other night with the imposition of ashes. We reflect not only on the meaning of Jesus' journey to the cross, but also on our own journey to be reconciled back to God through Christ. And Paul tells us to be careful not to squander one bit of this marvelous life that God has given us. God reminds us, I've heard your call in the nick of time. The day you needed me, I was there to help. And he says, now is the right time to listen. Now is the day to be helped. Don't put it off. Don't frustrate God's work by showing up late, throwing a question mark over everything that we're doing. Our work as God's servants gets validated or not in the details. In the details. Because people are watching us as we stay our post as Christians. Aren't they? In hard times, tough times, bad times, when we're beaten up, when we're jailed and mobbed, when we're working hard, when we're working late, when we're working without eating, with a pure heart, clear head, steady hand, in gentleness, holiness, honest love, when we're telling the truth, when God's showing His power, when we're doing our best setting things right, when we're praised, when we're blamed, slandered, and honored, true to our word, though distrusted, ignored by the world, but recognized by God, terrifically alive, though rumored to be dead, beaten within an inch of our lives, but refusing to die, immersed in tears, yet always filled with deep joy, living on handouts, yet enriching many, having nothing, having it all. This is the crazy life of a Christian. Where else can you be joyful in the midst of sorrow except with Christ and the Holy Spirit dwelling in you? Where else can you examine your life and realize that you fall terribly short of the glory of God every day and yet be confident that you are loved and that there's a place for you in heaven? No other faith does that. And so here we are the first Sunday of Lent. And it's, it's a long-standing tradition throughout Christianity to give up something for Lent. People tend to look at their list of likes and they elect to give up one of them for Lent as if that's some kind of amazing sacrifice to God. I think I'll give up red meat. I think I'll give up sugar. I think I'll give up Cokes. That'll satisfy God, this Lent. Or they'll look at their list of bad habits or unhealthy lifestyle and decide that they'll give up at least one bad habit for Lent. I'll stop smoking or drinking or what have you. All of these things are fine and good. But when I think 
When we do that, we're missing the point, really. Jesus didn't die a horrible death on the cross. God didn't give up His only begotten Son so that we would stop putting sugar or uh, smoke into our bodies. That word wouldn't come in no matter what I did. And so that we could feel like we're being sacrificial or giving up our daily latte at Starbucks for a few weeks. Jesus didn't die on the cross so that we could give up sugar. He died on the cross so that we could be reconciled to God. He rose from the dead so that we could share in the resurrection through Him. And as Paul points out, Jesus was there for us when we needed Him on the day of our salvation. And so we have to ask ourselves during Lent, are we acting like we are in any way appreciative of that? Are we working on our understanding of Him and who we are in relationship to Him? Are we working every day, working out our salvation, working out our sanctification so that each and every day we are one step closer to being like Christ and becoming worthy of the sacrifice that He made for us? And so instead of giving up something this Lent, why don't we do something of real and lasting kingdom value? If you were to give up your trip to Starbucks and use that money to feed a homeless person, that would have eternal value. It doesn't have to break the bank. It just has to break your heart. If you were to give up your television time and devote that time to prayer or to giving your undivided attention to a family member or a friend, that would have eternal value. If you were to spend the time or money you normally spend on whatever it is you like to do, Spend those resources on giving back to family, to church, to community. Then you would have really made an impact for the advancement of the kingdom. See, as Paul says, people are watching us as we stay at our post. To see how we do, to see what we do, to see if there's anything at all to this thing we call Christianity. To see if we are genuine or if we are nothing but mist and vapor, smoke and mirrors. Or my favorite saying, all hat and no cattle. It's rodeo season. Spend this Lenten season aligning your heart and mind with the heart and mind of Christ. Don't forget that we are ambassadors for Christ. Since God is making his appeal through us, Paul says, we entreat you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Because for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's our lifelong goal. And we begin it on the first Sunday of Lent. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.